Hi, I am Jada Siri Ramos. I am the producer of A Public Affair here on WORT. And I have a request. Madison Magazine is running their annual Best of Madison competition. And I need you to go nominate A Public Affair as the best podcast Madison has to offer. All you have to do is go to tinyurl.com slash vote W-O-R-T. Nominations are open all throughout this month, and you can nominate us every single day. Now, the actual voting doesn't take place till June, but if we're not nominated, we can't be voted on. So go nominate us. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash vote W-O-R-T. Thanks so much, and I'm so excited for everyone to know that A Public Affair is the best podcast in Madison. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to place. No change without struggle. No one in power ain't giving up nothing. No change without struggle. No one in power. WORT 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. On February 6th, a devastating earthquake has struck parts of Turkey and Syria, killing more than 47,000 people, leaving innumerable people homeless, injuring a lot and devastating infrastructure and homes. We've heard mostly about what's been going on in Turkey. Today, we are going to concentrate on what has happened in Syria, and not just the earthquake, but the 12 years leading to it of a civil war in uh, Syria. With us to discuss that is Zara Albert. Al-Barazi. She's research director, board member of the Syrian Legal Development Program. She holds an LLM in international law from Leeds University, is currently pursuing a PhD degree too. She specializes in international human rights law, refugee law, specifically on the nexus between forced displacement and citizenship issues, as well as the interlink between discrimination and statelessness. Zara has published work in various journals and books and has also led, researched and authored various reports on human rights issues in the region. She has worked closely with media outlets to raise awareness on these issues, including Al Jazeera English, BBC and Syria Direct. Since 2010, Zara has been involved in conducting research studies and providing trainings for various organizations such as UNHCR, WRC, IRC, Boston University, NRC, the Open Society Justice Initiative, and Amel House of Human Rights. She's also a fellow at the Social Change Initiative, a program that selects individuals to aid them challenge inequality through their work. She's joining us today from Turkey, where she was during the February Earth, February 6th earthquake, and where the time is... Zara, is it now 8 p.m. or 9 p.m.? 
Uh, it's nine over here. Nine in the evening. Thank you so yes. much for joining us on, on no, no Friday. <laughs> so late. So you, you were there um, during the earth, earthquake. Describe uh, your experience. Yeah, thanks. Um, thanks first for, for having me on here. Um, so I live in a city in the south, not so far from the border of Syria, um, called Gaziantep. Um, and... So there was two earthquakes on, on Monday the 6th, and, and the first earthquake happened uh, early in the morning, uh, just after four. And the epicenter of that earthquake was actually uh, in the vicinity of Gaziantep. So I was, I was there at the epicenter. Um, and as you can imagine, there's a whole city that it's sleeping. Um, and in the space of less than a minute, everybody had left their houses, had run downstairs, You had uh, children uh, downstairs terrified, freezing. Uh, it was unfortunately snowing that week, so it was absolutely freezing. And, you know, none of us, like, I had no time to, to put clothes on, so I was in my pajamas. Um, my partner couldn't find his shoes, so he was barefoot. Um, so we're all kind of very cold um, and a little bit confused as to what had just happened, really. I think... Um, I was lucky that I was in a street uh, where no buildings had fallen. Um, I think most of the things inside the buildings had been ruined, uh, but none of the actual buildings had fallen. Um, but it didn't take us very long to, to move around a little bit and see the extent to which uh, the earthquake had, had really damaged um, so much, so much in the city. And, and like, we were actually lucky that our city was one of the There were some cities that were damaged much more. Um, so this preceded um, a lot of confusion. Nobody knew what was going on or what to do. We were also very much one of the lucky ones that we had a car. So we had somewhere to sit in, in you know, relative warmth uh, while we tried to figure out, you know, what's going on, etc. Um, and this kind of went on for a few hours Uh Then uh, came the second earthquake, and I think for a lot of people, the second earthquake was a lot scarier because, first of all, you're, you're wide awake and you've just seen the damage that can happen from the first. You know, you've seen literal buildings crumbled uh, nearby. You've seen, you know, flattened, like, just like kind of sandwiches. Um, you, you're very aware of what's just happened, and then it's happening again, and you're wide awake for it this time. So I think kind of the, the emotional scaring happened much more during the second time, uh, the second earthquake that happened. And then I think everybody realized that you know, this, wasn't, this wasn't going to finish anytime soon. It wasn't just a one-off earthquake. Um, and then started the kind of you know, confusion trying to find out uh, what happened to loved ones, to friends, to family, and trying to figure out what we were going to do. There's obviously, you know, simple things like nowhere to eat. Um, so, you know, you didn't have any food and nothing is open in terms of shops and, and restaurants. And so you have you know, a whole city, a whole, I'm talking about my city, but a whole area of people where no access to food. Um, the water had been cut off. Um, so we, you know, couldn't, drink water but we couldn't find any you know public toilets for example as a, as, as a disaster there's no water in the city 
everyone was really cold. People wanted to leave the city. And there's no petrol left very quickly because everybody would run to fill up their, so I think you said gas, uh, fill up their cars with gas. Um, so it was kind of just this throwing of millions of people into this. And, and, and I'm talking about those who weren't under the rubble. You know, I'm talking about us who kind of managed to escape from their buildings or whose buildings um, hadn't, you know, hadn't fallen. Um, so it just ended up, we spent maybe four or five days sleeping in the car um, because first of all, the, some of the motorways were, were hugely damaged around us. Then when they fixed the motorways, um, only emergency services were allowed uh, to, to enter. No one else was allowed to use the motorways. There was a problem with accessing gas. There was a problem with accessing money. Most people didn't have any money on them or they hadn't brought their cards from the house. So it was just like utter chaos, um, complete and utter chaos um, for several days. Um, and then you've got the consistent tremors and aftershocks, which was just really, really scary for a lot of people. Um, they didn't stop. There are thousands of them. Um, so that, you know, was quite emotionally difficult for people to, to know that this was just a small tremor and the same thing wasn't going to happen. Um, so it was, you know, it was several days of lots of people sleeping in in parks and, and trying to keep warm with fires, no food and no water. And, and as I said, us being the lucky ones um, who had managed to kind of escape immediate injury or death. Um, yeah. So that's kind of briefly, yeah. How how have uh, children reacted? Um, I can't imagine. I, I don't want to imagine, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a difficult one. I think there's a variety of different reactions. Again, uh, I think a lot of my, my friends who, who have children, um, especially after the second earthquake, um, I think were terrified, just terrified, especially with the tremors. I think every time an after, an after, an after shot take place, Um, there was a lot of crying and uh, there was a lot of fear. They, they, they didn't want to leave the laps of their parents, even when they're nine, 10 years old. Um, I think, and, and these are again, the children who weren't you know, directly uh, under a falling building or anything like that, and even seeing these, these sites. And I think parents were, were really confused as to what, how to explain this to their children when they were going past whole buildings that had completely collapsed to the ground. Um, you know how do you, how do you explain this uh, a lot of children were very cold um, weren't eating uh, and just didn't really understand why and I think that was a lot of confused faces around me uh, you know friend, children children of friends who were consistently just the tears weren't stopping um, crying and crying and crying Uh, so I mean and and in and for parents as well uh, I, and I have friends as well who have newborns uh, a couple of my friends have newborn babies and they were kind of you know the two friends I have were lucky they, they had a car to stay in, but they were you know a car with a with a baby that's a week or two weeks old for all this time um, which is in the freezing cold you know with not knowing how long your petrol is going to last you when you can when when you you know you're not going to be able to switch your car and to keep a bit warm you Um, so, you know, the, the, having newborns even 
you know, the newborns weren't necessarily understanding what was happening, of course, uh, was in and of itself uh, so difficult for the families uh, to deal with. Yeah. So here we are um, 18 days later and you obviously are indoors somewhere and you even have internet. Um, where are you? Where is everybody? Um, yeah. What does it look like now? So uh, most of the people left um, the cities. Um, a lot of people who couldn't leave themselves, so people who had cars, uh, they all flights, they increased the flights and all flights were free for everybody. So a lot of people were able to, to take flights. And those who couldn't themselves were taken by the government. Um, so the government of Turkey took people to uh, you know, places that were further away, like Izmir, and gave them accommodation there. Um, so kind of over a space of three or four days, five days, uh, the city is emptied. Um, cities like uh, Antakya, cities like Marash, uh, people have not returned because the cities have been completely destroyed. Um, other cities like the city I'm from, Gaziantep, because it's not completely destroyed, um, the government has been sending around engineers to check each building and to check whether the building is earthquake-proof or not. Um, and then informing the residents. So some people have started to trickle back um, and to try and enter their buildings and enter their lives. It's been problematic because water is still being off and on and it, you know, it's in many places there's still no gas, um, which means for the freezing cold, that's obviously a big problem. Um, some people have trickled back. Others have stayed in towns elsewhere, in cities elsewhere across the country. Um, either families, friends, um, you know, we, we ourselves are with uh, friends um, in, a, in a different city. Uh, kind of just, again, that kind of sense of not knowing what to do, um, not knowing whether you know, it's time, when would be time to go back, uh, when it's not a good idea. And every time we think, okay, it's time to go back, then there's, there was a, a small, a, quite a big tremor a couple of days ago, about 6.2, completely frightened everybody again yeah um yeah ultimately traumatizing i guess uh traumatizing people once again so the decision of what to do next um has been really difficult so some of the cities are still completely empty uh residents are not supposed to return and some cities residents are starting to trickle back slowly So, um, Zara, you are um, Syrian. Yeah. Why are you working in Turkey? Why are you in Turkey? Uh, so that's a good question. Um, so the, I guess the majority of people who would uh, work in my field, um, so whether that's kind of a human rights field or a humanitarian field, uh, would not be based in Syria if they're working on Syria. Um, it is not a... Um, situation in which someone can work on human rights inside the country um, because there is a, a dictator in place and, and freedom of speech and freedom of expression uh, is not allowed. So uh, the majority of kind of civil society uh, is based outside, uh, many in Turkey, uh, many in Europe, across Europe, some in the US. Uh, so you wouldn't find um, people in my field Uh, who would be able to, to freely work inside of Syria. And aside from that, there's also uh, the inability of um, 
the standard of life. So whatever your job is, whatever your occupation is, um, you know, 12 years of conflict, 12 years of, of bombing, of loss, of displacement, of inability to access a basic standard of life for the whole of the population means that there's an extreme amount of people who have left the country um, and who live elsewhere, who live abroad in neighbouring countries, the majority of them, uh, but further on in different countries. So very much why um, living in Syria for many is not an option. Um, for most, I guess, actually is not an option. Um, and for many as well, uh, yeah, unable to, to return, um, especially if they're working Yeah, we'll get right back to it. But um, first, I want to talk about the damage of the earthquake in Syria, because like I said, um, much because of the reasons you just listed, um, there has not been a whole lot of reporting about um, the damage there and, and what's been going on in Syria. Um And, and there were two more um, earthquakes um, in um, northwestern Syria on Monday, compounding the damage of the one on the 6th. Um, tell us what we know about the damage in that area. Uh, what do we know about the number of fatalities and injuries and um, the extent of the devastation and infrastructure, health care? What's going on there? Yeah. So uh, the extent of the, of the damage and, 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 and what went on in northwestern Syria is unfortunately far greater than what happened in Turkey. Um, and this is for many reasons. I mean, northwestern Syria wasn't at, at the epicenter like a lot of the cities in Turkey was, but the devastation has been far greater. And this is for two main reasons. Um, the first reason is that many of these areas were devastated anyway because of the conflict. So you've had, you know, hospitals that have already been destroyed because of uh regime bombing you've had schools that are already been closed many times because of the conflict you've had buildings that were that were uh, you know not suitable for for living even before the uh, the earthquake um, so you have a situation where you know access to, to, to food and to water etc I mean out of uh, the population in northwestern Syria even before the earthquake 90% of the population depended on humanitarian aid. Um, just to meet some of their most basic needs. So you already had a disaster in northwest Syria. Um, and also that the, the region is made up nearly half of, of IDPs, so people who were internally displaced in Syria, so they're not living in their city of origin. They had to move because of the conflict and ended up in northwest Syria. So most or nearly half of the, maybe just more than half of the people who live there already are living in a lot of makeshift accommodations because you know they've had to they've had to flee to that area so you already have a disaster in northwestern Syria on top of that you the aid uh, that got to northwestern Syria was next to nothing um, so you know you didn't have machinery that was coming in to help rescue people from the rebels you didn't have aid that was coming in to You didn't have um, help uh, it was people were left to their own 
their own abilities to be able to solve the situation themselves without any international help, without any international support, without a strong government that could do this for them, um, without proper resources, without machinery, et cetera, et cetera. So you have a, an area that's already devastated, um, and on top of that, um, an area that that didn't receive any support um, from either internal governance systems or uh, international uh, aid or support. And that kind of makes a situation of a, of a cat catastrophe. Um, in terms of figures, I think uh, about 6,000 people are known to have, have, have passed away from the earthquake in northwest in, in Syria. Um, I, I, we're sure that these figures are going to increase a lot because there are still so many buildings that you know people haven't been able to approach or start to go through. Uh, there are so many IDPs who are not necessarily registered in certain areas, etc. So the actual real number um, is going to go up quite a lot. And then there's also the aftermath. So, you know, like I said, in Turkey, uh, people have, you know, a meet, there was a very quickly uh, a response to try and make sure that people got food and that people got some kind of shelter, even if it's, you know, makeshift uh, tents. Um, in Northwest Syria, there's a lot less help for people. So, you know, over the coming months, even longer, um, what people will or won't be able to do um, is going to be really, really much more of a challenge in that area because of the situation. Mm -hmm. And just um, want to clarify, for those who don't know, IDP means internally displaced persons. And, and you said there were quite a few of them there already. So let's talk about um, the past 12 years. It's been really a while on this show since we've talked about Syria. Um, maybe because it seems like it's all the same all the time, but uh, we did talk about it when um, when the war started. You you call it conflict, I called it civil war. I, I don't know if that's the right title for it because I think it's mostly really the regime's war on the people, but maybe you can remind us what started it and um, tell us briefly what has happened and especially in northwestern Turkey, uh, um, Syria. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people have stopped talking about it because there is this fatigue of, you know, we're talking about this situation where we can't see anything improving. We can't see a solution. We can't see, you know, the situation getting better for people. So so people, are, even, you know, Syrians, um, just has, out of desperation, have lost this kind of... Um, passion to, because of because of being disappointed for for so long um so i mean in terms of the conflict uh it, it has been since 2011 so the last 12 years but i but i but i would say that the issues have started long before that um so the country has for many decades before 2011 been living under a dictatorship um the current president his father used to be in power. Um, so it's been, you know, many years of, of the same family who were ruling. It's not a monarchy, a, you know, it's a presidency, but it's still, um, the power has been passed from, from father to son. And, you know, there was never any, even before 2011, there was never any uh, space for a civil society 
for any kind of opposition, um, for any kind of free thinking, uh, any sort of opposition would be based abroad. And even then, there's very few because people would worry about their families uh, living inside of the country. So we have a situation where um, already uh, was very harsh on the people. Um, and then in 2011, I think very much inspired by what was happening uh, across the region in terms of the Arab Spring and you know, the people trying to rise up to, to protest against the suffering and, and the oppression they were living under, many of the countries in the region. Um, this, you know, and, and, and a few other stuff uh, sparked off a popular uprising. Um, so a lot of the streets, you know, city by city, town by town, started. To, uh, people started to come out to the streets. Um, they started to call for reforms at first. They started to call for a better uh, standard of living, for freedom, for you know, dignity. It was, you know, basic things that were being called for to start off with. Um, and then, you know, at some point, people also started to call for the downfall of the of the regime that was in place, um, and you know, wanting something better. And unfortunately, what happened was um, the reaction to this was severe. Um, the reaction to this was uh, violent um, and used weapons of all kinds and of all sorts uh, and was indiscriminate in the way it targeted people. So to, to quell this uprising, um, we've had 12 years of uh, conflict. We've had 12 years of um, people facing, hundreds of thousands of people who have been killed, people facing so many people who are still um, detained and their family don't know where they are, uh, massive levels of torture that have been happening in these detention centers, um, starvation of cities, uh, siege of cities that were kind of uh, opposing the regime. Um, we've seen attacks on infrastructure by the regime. We've seen attacks on uh, hospitals, on on schools, on, 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 on everything, every single possible tactic uh, to quell uh, a public uprising has, has taken place. Um, unfortunately, a lot of international actors got involved, which made the whole situation more violent um, and you know, upped the extremity um, of the violence uh, that took place. I think you're right when you said, um, you know, what, what would can you use? I think a lot of Syrians um, don't like the word civil war because of what it kind of supposes um, in terms of, you know, just the people fighting against each other, which is not what they saw at all, and, and definitely not what started at all, where it really was just a crackdown by the regime and then, you know, following by, by international supporters of the regime, of the protest, and then, you know, people, and then other armed groups that opposed the regime and then it, things got out of hand and it, you know, it became a crazy situation and then more than half of the population have been displaced, either within the border or outside of the border. Um, and today, you know, you have much less of an armed conflict, but you have the same in terms of fear, uh, in terms of crackdown, in terms of, you know, imprisoning people, 
for no reason um, to quell the, 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 any opposing voices. Um, you have uh, a really low standard of living in terms of access to your basic stuff like electricity and water and um, this type of things. So it's, it's completely ruined a country. Um, the amount of people who, who, who live, who have remained, you know, for those who've remained in the country, the amount of people who live uh, in poverty uh, is intense. Um, and with no solution in sight. Um, a very, very, very small elite group of, of people who are essentially war criminals or people who benefited from the war are getting richer. Uh, and apart from that, the, the population is, 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 is suffering. And that's not talking about the population of the refugees who are outside and the challenges that they face. Um, and then the population of, uh, of those in the north who, who the northern areas are under different control. Um, and, you know, being displaced persons in areas that are, that, you know, that are completely catastrophic and, and what that means for them and the, the, the communities that, that are hosting them. Uh, so it's 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 a real disaster, and it really feels like for a lot of Syrians that um, they have been abandoned, and there really is no no clear solution of what might happen. Um, you know that the, what they'd asked for, obviously, in terms of when they started their revolution, never took place. But on but it's even so much worse now in terms of you know no potential for this regime to, to budge or to change or to reform or anything. Mm-hmm. My guest is Zara Al-Badari. She's a research director and board member of the Syrian Legal Development Program. And we are talking about the earthquake and the um, conflict um, in Syria and uh, what's happening now and what has happened and um, what the future is. might um, convey. So the area in Syria, Zara, where the earthquake struck, um, southwestern, um, is, if I understand correctly, the only area that is still held by the opposition. So who is the opposition and... Um, What, what's the what's the situation particularly there? Yeah, so I mean, um, it, there's a little bit of mix in the north. Um, so we've got the northeast. Uh, and then in the northeast, that is governed by uh, Kurdish forces. Um, and then we've got areas uh, with the border of Turkey that are covered, uh, governed by Turkish military or um, Syrian military that are backed by, by Turks. Um, and then we've got other areas that are that are in the northwest that are governed by um, other factors such as uh, other entities um, such as Hayat Tahrir Sham who for example are the, are the, are the are those in control in Idlib um, and this is of course to say that it's relatively stable this now in terms of who who's governing which which region but in the past 12 years um, these regions have gone from one force to another that's been governing them so there's been absolutely no stability even in, in, in who has 
you know, been in charge and it's fallen into the hands of, you know, one entity and then another armed group. And then so it, it's, so you can imagine how, how, how difficult that has been for, for those living there. Um, so the different areas are governed by different entities. Um, and, you know, that, that leads to a different kind of um, issues and concerns in the, in the different entities. Generally, this area very much is made up of a large proportion of people who are uh, displaced persons, internally displaced persons. I think in the northwest of Syria, uh, like I said, there's about 2.5 million uh, displaced persons. Um, and this includes, I think, 56% who are children. Um, so, you know, people who have been a lot of the time born into displacement um, and have done nothing but that all their lives. Um, it's very difficult uh, for uh, individuals there to kind of, like I said, access some of the basic needs. Uh, livelihoods are, are, are practically non-existent for many people um, because there isn't you know, any attempt to be to developing these regions, to be to be improving these regions, um, to be helping with, you know, long term, proper, for example, sustainable schooling, because education is consistently uh, uh, interrupted by whether it's conflict or changing governor's hands or, um, you know, people who are trying to move away from the Northwest and enter into neighboring countries. And there's just a complete lack of stability. Um, there are many ID uh, inter the displaced persons who, you know, live still in tents after all these years. Um, there are many who have found some sort of makeshift accommodation. Um, and yeah, that's kind of generally, I mean, it, it, it differs from, from region to region in the North. Um, but yeah, generally the, it's, it's, it's kind of, that's how the situation is. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to look at the other actors too. So there is the Bashar regime that has been fighting the Syrian people, um, for the past 12 years and, and before that, as you have noted, but, uh, Syria has also become somewhat of an international, um conflict um let's let's start with the role of uh the russians and their support to the uh to the assad regime yeah i mean i think a lot of a lot of syrians feel like syria became a playground for international superpowers and politics to kind of play out there um russia has been an, a huge supporter of the Bashar al-Assad regime, um, the, the current regime in Syria, uh, not just, you know, morally, uh, so not just um, kind of supporting it vocally, but also has very much been part of the armed violence. Um, you know, they've supplied and been part of the military offensive. Um, and, you know, they have, they have some of the most high-tech uh, weaponry and, 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 that, and that hugely damaged the country. Um, the types of, 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 of weaponry that they use. So Russia is very much um, a supporter of the Assad regime. They've been backing them since day one um, and they're very much involved in, in internal politics and you know, very much kind of 
uh, in control ultimately of what's going on in the country um, and in control of also a lot of the, the resources um, that are there. Um, they alongside Iran, um, so Iran has also been a huge backer of the regime and have really kind of supported them, also military, um, but in other ways as well. Uh, so we've had these kind of two big players, specifically Russia. And, uh, you know, we see some of the devastation that, that on TV now that's, that's taking place in, in, in Ukraine. And it, there's, it's a real kind of feeling of um, deja vu for a lot of Syrians who, who you know, when, when the government regime, for example, uh, sieged Aleppo, a big city in the north, uh, it was Russian weaponry that was then bombing uh, a lot of a lot of family homes there. So it's it's, it's very it's very deja vu um, for a lot of Syrians who live in the region. Uh, and then we've of course got Iran, uh, and they are still very very present um, uh, in Syria. Uh, and then we've got other actors as well, some less uh, some less um, involved. The U.S. of course um, are very present um, in the northeast. Um, and they were also uh, kind of more so at the beginning um, involved in, in, in the conflict. And you've got some countries from the Gulf as well um, who became kind of on the parameters involved in, in, in what was taking place. So there's a, there was a lot of kind of fingers. Um, you know, what, what started off, and it's, it's, it's strange, you know, it's like what it started off as just a popular uprising by the people turned into this international playground of powers who were all using their weaponry and machinery to, to, to fight it out um, with, you know, the victims obviously being uh, the population of the country. Oh, and, and why is it? Why? What, what makes Syria so tempting for everybody? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, I'd, I'd love to, to know. I mean, I think it's in a very strategic position for a lot of countries. Um, I think it's, I mean, it, you know, there's some stuff like it has a lot of natural resources, but, you know, not, not so much as other countries. But I think it's strategic positioning, I think, is, is really, really important um, in terms of where it is uh, territorially. I also think um, it just came at a time where powers wanted to fight it out um, and this was a good playground to fight it out in uh, I think you know it, that, that's sort of what happened but you know in terms of what what the genuine interests of these countries are you know I'd, I'd love to know Syrians would really love to know I mean why Russia put so much resources and energy and, and, and money and time into propping up the Shah al-Assad um, as regime, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to know. Yeah. Honestly. And, and Israel, of course, Israel bombed Damascus um, this past Sunday, killing at least five people and, and wounding at least 15 and damaging a residential building. Uh, what's the role of Israel in all of this? Yeah, I mean, they haven't really kind of directly, um, I'm sure, you know, it has more of a an indirect role that directly they've not been so much uh, part of the conflict they do you know their bombing of, of, of places inside of, of Syria 
and this one was quite central to Damascus, is a regular occurrence. This isn't kind of a surprise for anybody in Syria. I think it kind of reached very much international news because it came so soon after the earthquake. Um, so people uh, were kind of more tuned into it. But, you know, Israeli bombing of, of things inside of Syria is, is, is a common thing. And it always has been, you know, even pre, uh, pre-war, uh, pre-conflict in, in, inside of Syria. Um, so I don't think they have necessarily a direct role in what's taking place. Um, but of course, even, you know, just the proximity of Syria to Israel is, is enough to, to make it a strategic uh, place for a lot of international players. Um, and, you know, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's regularly bombing. I mean, they, they say targeted areas, but who knows? Um, and, you know, is the, it's, it's the one thing that kind of brings Syrians together in terms of, uh, you know, angering Syrians on one thing, but it, 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 their role, I don't think, is necessarily direct or as substantial as some of the other countries. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's get back then to northwestern Syria, where the... Uh, earthquake struck as you said after many years of devastation already wrought by the um, Assad al-Assad regime uh, what what is it like now and specifically I, I I'm curious about the situation for women and children um, there is a little bit of aid coming in now um, but what are the challenges that um, <laughs> that continue and and will likely continue for a long time yeah I mean so it's it, it's there's been very little like I said done apart from this organization called the white helmets who you know aren't very well resourced who, who have been trying to save um, people from the earthquake but there's been very little and I think we're talking about a population who already uh, many of them have you know I'm sure you know traumatic experiences and PTSD from many things that have taken place in the conflict many have known nothing but conflict um, you know if someone is 20 years old they have known nothing uh, but conflict um, we have you A huge 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 percentage of widows uh, living in these in this area because you know their husbands died in the conflict their husbands were detained by the regime were, were killed by the regime where their husbands disappeared their husbands moved on to different countries so we have a, a huge amount of widows who live in these regions who are already you know struggling with with that um, we've also if you look at some of the statistics got a real increased level before the earthquake of of Uh, suicide and self-harm among young girls there's you know a lot of responsibilities being put on young girls especially when you know the father and sometimes the mother are not are not present um, they take on responsibilities alongside having a fear of exploitation um, and trafficking and sexual violence etc so there's you know a huge increased level of suicide among them um, and a lot of you know houses like I said widows or female-headed um, And the majority of uh, the people living in the Northwest of those who specifically have been displaced are women and children. Um, 
women also were very much at the forefront of uh, of the revolution. Um, they, you know, were activists and, and took on a huge role in terms of, you know, organizing and, and, and being part of the revolution. So there's been a huge backlash on them as well uh, in terms of, you know, regime response, in terms of detention, in terms of um, silencing them in, 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 you know, sometimes awful and horrific ways. Uh, so, you know, alongside just general uh, struggles that women would have, especially if they're widows, or you know, the specific struggles that are related to women in, result, in, in terms of a conflict or an earthquake, uh, there's also this kind of fear of uh, a lot, a lot of crackdown uh, on women who, who have spoken out, who have tried to be activists, etc. And yeah, so they, uh, so that's the situation. A lot of women, a lot of children, um, very few resources to help them, very few uh, possibilities of them being able to, to create a livelihood or to, to, to work, um, etc. cetera, mm-hmm. uh, with the majority living below the poverty line as well. Well, and um, according to the United Nations Population Fund, um, more than 350,000 pregnant women who survived the the earthquake in both Turkey and Syria are in urgent need of health care. Uh, around 38,000 of them are due to give birth in the next month. Um, and it still is hard to access health care and clean food and water. And there's um, very limited health care. There's um, mental health needs. Um, and then I also I heard on the BBC probably the second day after the earthquake, this woman in Turkey uh, talking about what happened in her Um, city and she said there's right now there's somewhere between 300 and 400 children in the hospital who we don't know who they belong to we don't know if their family survives what will happen to all these kids she said and that's something I wonder too yeah I mean there's a lot that both in Turkey and northwest Syria of of children who've now been found whether they're newborn babies or whether they're unaccompanied you know minors young children um, there is an attempt now to try and find their extended families, but often even they, uh, especially if they're Syrians living in Turkey, their extended families are probably not in Turkey. Uh, they're probably in, you know, other countries or in Syria, etc. Uh, so this, I, this issue of, of having a lot of children, um, that have been left, um, is a big one. I think at the moment we're still at the stage where people are trying to find their extended families. Um, but you know the amount of children who have been orphaned uh, by this earthquake uh, and in northwest Syria to add to the incredible amount of orphans that already exist um, is 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 a disaster and absolutely like pregnancy you know you you can't find for it's been several weeks in these cities where you know even if you survive even if you you you've got out fair um finding, you know, a pharmacy that's open if it's, you know, I, I am pregnant, so I, I can personally, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, so having 
you know, taking specific medicine and obviously not being able, having to be able to take the medicine with me and not being able to take those medicines for weeks because there's no pharmacies that are open. And like, you know, I, I definitely was one of the lucky ones. I had a car to stay in. Um, I had, you know, warmth from the car, but, you know, not being able to eat for several days, find, not finding food. Uh, you know, I, I can just imagine the struggle of many women who are in this position and who are, who also have, you know, young children uh, that they are responsible of. Um, people who are, who are much closer to, to giving birth and the worry of, of how they would do that and how, they, how, how, how it would be possible to do that. And even basic things that you don't think about, and, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit silly, I know, but, you know, sleeping in the car and, and, and as a pregnant person needing constantly to use the, you know, the toilet ultimately at night and, and not being able to do that because there are no toilets nearby. And, you know, waking up every hour in, in the freezing cold and leaving the car to do that was, was, was actually really real issue you know it's quite a, a quite a problem and quite a burden um so yeah absolutely and 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 healthcare you know children who who i know parents who, who have children who who were going through treatment in hospitals who've had to stop the treatment and and you know it's just every part of life that it's that has completely been stopped and had a pause put on it uh yeah and and historically speaking, since um, there's a lot more children who are orphaned or separated from their families at this point than there were before, but like you said, um, it's not a new problem in the region. What what happens to these kids? What? Um... Yes, I mean, in Turkey, they're mostly taken under the, like in many other countries, taken under the, the state's responsibility um, and either then you know in the long term foster homes are looked at um, or in uh, uh, like orphanages um, in northwest Syria I think the majority of orphans stay with um, extended friends or families or you know friends of their families or you know the auntie of the auntie, you know, extended families as much as possible. I think that's the majority of places where, where orphans there would end up um, having much less of a infrastructure that would be able to, to, to look after these children. So that's, that's what would happen. But you can imagine also that the, um, how much this puts children at risk of vulnerabilities, such as yeah, you know, being trafficked or right. being exploited or abused, etc. Yeah, that's um, my fever. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, and of course, orphanages are known not to be a good way to um, raise kids. Anyway, we're almost at the end of the hour, so let me ask you two questions in one. Um, going back to international players, uh, just how how what what's the effect of U.S. sanctions? Um, generally, and at this point, and you'll have about one and a half minute for that. And uh, the other question is, do you see any silver linings? Is anything good going to come out of it? Yeah, I mean, in terms of US sanctions, it's been spoken about recently quite a bit with regards to kind of the response to the earthquake. But honestly, this, this, is, this is quite angering because there was so many possibilities for states and the UN to respond to the earthquake in the northwest Syria. 
which they didn't do, which was irrelevant to sanctions. I mean, no aid went into northwest Syria in the first week from any Western countries, no machinery to help people, take, to help uh, individuals take people out of the rubble. Nothing went through, and this is irrelevant to sanctions, and there was complete legal and logistical uh, opportunity for that to happen, and it just didn't happen. Um, you know, sanctions are very much, um, you know, it, it has very, very, very little effect on the ability to provide humanitarian aid. Um, the ability to provide um, humanitarian aid is hampered by the lack of political will and by the inability as well of people being able to, to direct humanitarian aid at the right people. A lot of it, unfortunately, goes to um, regime uh, individuals, even regime individuals who are sanctioned. Like there was a report that we did recently about how 23% of UN aid um, has gone to regime sanctioned individuals. Um, so, you know, there's a lot talking about how the US sanctions affect negatively humanitarian aid, but it's so tiny um, compared to so many other obstacles and, and just the lack of willingness to want to be able to direct proper humanitarian aid to the right people. And the second question I don't remember, <laughs> sorry. Um, ah, silver lining, yeah. Well, I mean, I think Erdogan is going to go down and um, I think you've also seen a lot of kindness uh, following the earthquake, but in the long term, is there, is there, are there any other silver linings? And we have like 40 I mean, seconds. Yeah, I mean, the silver linings for us Syrians are sometimes really basic and simple, like the amount of solidarity between Syrians and helping each other, the amount of solidarity we've seen from other people. Um, in terms of a political solution, not yet. I don't think any of us can see a proper silver lining, but it's really about the solidarity that is happening. You know, the help, the only help that happened in Northwest Syria was people to people. And, and just seeing that was... was And seeing a, pop, a, new, a new generation of, of, of Syrians who are really kind of passionate about helping other Syrians, I think, is the only silver lining that we see at the moment, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Well, Zara Al-Barazi, Research Director, Board Member of the Syrian Legal Development Program. You look tired. Uh, I now know that you're pregnant. I'm sure you yourself are traumatized from all of that. Thank you so very much for joining us on a Friday yeah, night you for you. Really, really appreciate you joining us. Thank no, you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks to Summer and Jade and Patty here. I'm Esti Dinor. Bye-bye. 